Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast. We'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, and uh, typically here with my co-host and business partner, Charles Dehart, but he's actually up in Buffalo, New York. I sent him up there to the frigid, cold weather of Buffalo, New York. Actually, it's not that frigid uh, during as I'm doing this call here. It's like 50 degrees up there, which is kind of abnormal for this this time of year, but We've got a park under contract up there, and he is up there on site doing due diligence, making sure that we're not buying a lemon. So it's just me here today. And uh, on today's show, we're going to be sharing the stage with George Chen and Mark Sue. Both are new park investors who just purchased their very first 11-space park a few weeks ago in Connecticut. Uh, both George and Mark, they're, they're avid listeners to our show, and they originally reached out to Charles and I looking for advice or, or ideas on sourcing their second mobile home park. They're ready for their second one already. So uh, today's show, not only will we pull back the the curtain on this very first park acquisition and dig into all the nitty and gritty details, but we'll also actively discuss ideas on how they should be best spending their time sourcing that second deal. Because like I said, they're ready already. It's only been a few weeks and they're already for that second deal. So, But before we introduce George and Mark to the show, I'd like to run through a, a few quick housekeeping items. The first one, you guys wouldn't believe it if I told you, but it's the truth. The Academy, the Mobile Home Park Academy that we've been talking about for so, so very, very long, like a year and a half now, it's finally here. So the Mobile Home Park Academy, it's finally here, guys. Uh, you know, Charles and I, we've we've worked our butts off for the past year and a half putting this program together. And we're not just educators. I mean, we don't just do this podcast. We actually buy parks. Like I said, Charles is up in Buffalo right now. So it's taken a little bit longer than than we thought, but it's because we're busy with our own business. So we, we, we buy parks. We operate parks. We... You know, we, we practice what we preach here. So, but we've been working our butts off for a year and a half putting this program together. And I can confidently say, and Charles would say the same thing if he was here with me now, we can confidently say that it is hands down the most comprehensive training on mobile home park investing that you'll ever find. And I can say that because both Charles and I, we've been through every single boot camp that's out. There's not a lot of education on this topic, okay? So, but Charles and I have been through every single thing that's out there. Every boot camp, we've read every book, attended even industry uh, roundtable masterminds, industry masterminds, and this program blows them all away. And I'm not saying that the other programs aren't good because they they are. I mean, in their own right, they're good. But this program is everything that a lot of those other programs aren't, okay? And like I said, we've been through them all, so I can I can truly say it. I'm not just making that up. And uh, there's not a lot of education out there on this topic. And this is really, it's everything. It's A to Z, everything that we do in our very own business. And it works because it's what we use each and every day to buy parks, to operate parks and negotiate them, to raise capital for them, get them, get them financed, turn them around, hire new management. It's everything A to Z. So, you know, in the program, you know, if you want to learn how to master the art of market analysis, which is so very important. Uh, you know, 
we always say that the market is the most important part of the entire equation. Like you could buy the prettiest park. It could have white fencing, it could have brand new homes in it, new roads and be gorgeous, you know, clubhouse, all this kind of fancy stuff. But if it's in a terrible market that has a uh, declining job base where people aren't working, there's a 20% unemployment rate, then who cares if it's pretty, if your tenants can't pay your rent, right? So we'll teach you how to actually perform the proper market analysis so that you're only buying parts, parks in the most profitable markets, okay? We're gonna show you how to do that in the academy. Wanna learn the exact step-by-step exact -step process that Charles and I use in our own business to, to build highly targeted database of mobile home parks that meet your exact acquisition criteria? Well, done. We'll show you how to do that in the Mobile Home Park Academy. How about the negotiation tactics that we use to persuade owners to sell us their park using owner financing? We'll show you how to do that as well. We Last year, we bought seven parks. Five of those seven, we got owner financing on, okay? We do it all the time. You wanna learn how to successfully raise all the private capital that you could ever need to get your deals done? We'll show you how to do that as well. We've got an entire module on syndication and raising private capital, okay? What if you knew how to create a steady stream of highly qualified off-market leads that meet your exact criteria? Or, or, or better yet, how about if we show you how to build the steady stream and not only ha and not have to rely on brokers to bring you deals? I mean, I know that it's really challenging getting into this business when you have to rely on brokers to bring you deals because a lot of times they bring you junk. They kind of give you the, you know, the scraps that are left over. And so we'll show you how to build this steady stream of off-market deals. And even better, you won't be competing with other buyers who are gonna drive up the price. I mean, that's what happens nowadays. When anything makes it to the market, the price goes crazy. In fact, we haven't, we haven't bought an on-market deal for a long time because by the time they make it to market, there's a ton of buyers out there that are just, they're, they're, they're dying to get returns on their money. And so they're willing to overpay for stuff. And so we're gonna show you how to get off-market deals. These are where, this is where the profits are made. I mean, this is where the money is to be made. Not saying you can't find decent deals on market. It's just, they're few and far between. And so we'll show you how to create a steady stream of off-market leads that will flow into your business each and every day, okay? I mean, really the bottom line, I'm not gonna you know, beat a dead horse here. The bottom line is, if you wanna learn how to successfully enter into this niche of mobile home parks and avoid all the common mistakes that new park investors make when they get into this business, then you, just, you owe it to yourself to at least check out the academy. Go check it out. As you guys know, Charles and I, we love helping others uh, who share that same passion for this business and we love to help you, okay? And just to give you a little taste of what the Academy is all about, Charles and I, we actually, we spent uh, actually a couple of weeks to put this together, but we wanted to put something together that would just give you a little bit of a, of a sampling of what the Academy is all about. So we put together a free two-hour in-depth web class, uh, again, so you get a little sampling of what you can expect from that full-blown Academy. And uh, you can register for this web class by going to our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com. And uh, one last thing I want to mention before we move on here is that we are so very confident in what we created in the Academy that we've even decided to offer a 100%, no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee for those who make the commitment to move the needle forward in their business, okay? I mean, we really are that confident. And if you don't like it after 30 days, you think it's not worth the, you know, the value, it's not, the value is not there for whatever reason, no questions asked. We don't want you to be in the, I mean, we don't want you to be there if it's not for you, right? If it's not meant for you, if you're not finding out what you need to know to be in this business, we want to give your money back to you. So um, check it out, mobilehomeparkcademy.com. Uh, that's all I've got to say about that. Let's move on to the next laundry list item so we can get onto the show with, with Mark and George. Uh, second big announcement is that our highly anticipated mobile home park investment fund is now live and open for business. So if you have any interest in, in partnering whatsoever with us on deals, uh, we've got a lot in the pipeline now. Shoot us an email to partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. It's an autoresponder email, and almost immediately you'll get information regarding our current offer. So um, shoot us an email, 
partner at mobilehomeparkcademy.com. Also in that email, there will be a link to our calendar. So if you have an interest in actually getting on the phone with us and talking to us a little bit more about our offering and about working together with us, uh, you can schedule it right there, right there in that email. There will be a link to our calendar. So um, again, partnering with us, we've got a lot of deals, got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, a lot of good opportunities, and uh, we'd love to uh, to partner with you. Okay, so partner at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Shoot an email and um, let's connect. Uh, a couple more real quick laundry list items. Um, Charles and I were based in Dunedin, Florida. It's actually Clearwater area, so Tampa Bay. Uh, if you're ever local, if you're visiting, uh, you know whether you're in town for work, pleasure, whatever it might be. I just had an awesome meeting the other day with uh, David. He came in from Boston. He was here with his wife and uh, grabbed lunch with him. And so I always, I, I love meeting others that just want to talk shop, whether it's mobile home parks or just real estate investing, whatever it might be. If you're in town, you're visiting, ha- have some extra time, reach out to us. We'd love to meet with you um, if, if we can get our schedules coordinate. Just uh, shoot us an email, mobile homeparkacademy at gmail.com and list let's see if we can coordinate uh, our travel plans together okay uh lastly uh, this is really a casting call. We've been mentioning this now over the past couple of months. Uh, as you know, we've got George and Mark here today. We've had multiple other interviews that we've done of park investors that are either new to the business or that have been in it in a while, but basically they're, they're operators. They own parks today and they are actually actively owning parks as an investment. So we'd love to have you on the show. If you're someone that owns at least one park, and even if you own a hundred of them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what size park owner you are. As as I mentioned here in the beginning, George and Mark, they have an 11 space park. It's their first one, but they're looking at their second. And they're going to be buying more. It doesn't really matter. We want to hear your story. We understand you know, why you were attracted to this business. We understand the struggles that you went through because we can all learn from one another's story. Okay, And the whole goal with these calls, these interviews, is so that we can extract the important information that can hopefully help us avoid any mistakes that, you know, the guests that we had on the show might have made. We, we can avoid those costly mistakes and and try to, uh, you know, just make things more seamless as we get into this investment niche. So um, so if you have an interest in being on the show, we'd love to have you. You can shoot us an email to mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. And uh, guys, that's it. Laundry list is done. It's put away. So without further ado, I would like to welcome George and Mark to the show. Guys, thanks for joining us today. How you doing? Good. How's it going? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going great. Thanks for thanks for joining us. I really really appreciate um, you coming on the show and and um, and your willingness to share your story about the love that you've built for or the love that you've uh, that you've created for mobile home parks. And uh, and so maybe what we could, guys, just real quick in the beginning, uh, just take a few minutes and announce uh, you know your, your name and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background uh, you know from a professional standpoint I know both of you guys have full-time jobs so tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you you found out about this business or how you got into this business so you know Mark or George either one you can start first but just say you know your name and just tell us a little bit more about yourself hey guys uh, so this is George uh, I work in uh, New York City uh, my professional career is sort of related to real estate debt so uh, from there you know it branched off into um, interest in just buying real estate in general. Uh, Mark and I met in school at NYU here, and uh, we, when we were inspired by a pretty quirky uh, real estate professor that we had that, um, that definitely taught us a lot about the business of just general real estate. And as we started looking, we looked at several different asset classes from single family to uh, self-storage. Um, but then, you know, we, we we started peeling back the onion of mobile home park, and the more layers we peeled, the more we fell in love with it. Um, you know, it, it's been almost a, a year plus uh, of nonstop, I guess, research slash um, 
uh, sourcing uh, to, to, and then ultimately finding uh, bidding and closing on, on our park, and you know we couldn't be happier. So, okay, uh, Mark, anything to add? Sure, yeah, sounds good. So, hi, I'm Mark. I'm in the yeah my day job. I'm in the consulting space, and yeah, I met George through grad school, and we took a bunch of real estate classes together. I think one day we were just chatting about different asset classes, and I mentioned that I met a guy that did a bunch of Wani deals, and then we started talking about financing mobile homes, and that got the ball rolling into exploring this more niche sector of real estate. And once we got the bug, really started diving into how to make this a reality. And you know, just recently closed on our first park and looking to pick up number two and three shortly. Okay. Well, good deal. Um, so, so I'd love to understand what that professor, uh, what he said to you, like, you know, the quirky professor, what was it that he said about mobile home parks uh, that, um, that kind of uh, drew you guys to this niche? I mean, and, and did you spend any time looking at any of the other asset classes? I mean, like, meaning like, did you actually go out and, and, you know, do some on boots on the ground type research on other asset classes? Were you interested in anything else or did, was it all theory up until that point? And then you said, you know what, let's, let's take a dive in. Let's go after mobile home parks based on what we've researched. I mean, tell me a little bit about this, uh, the, you know, the path to where you le- led you where you are today. Sure. Um, this is George. Uh, so the professor himself was just a very, you know, very inspiring uh, individual. Um, you know, we we had a couple classes with him where you actually go out to Vegas and visit some of his properties. He was he started off in New York and did more um, SROs. Uh, that was in itself a pretty niche type of uh, asset class. And and basically, I, I, there wasn't one thing that he inspired. But one thing that stuck in my mind is is basically if you if you um, as if you start, if, once you buy a um, sort of an off-brand asset class like SROs or mobile home parks, you will be, more brokers will come and flock to you because you will be known as the person that can close those type of deals. Everybody else will just be sort of window shopping. So, you know, it. it, it I know you said it before, Kevin, and this is probably more true in, in this uh, industry, that, you know, the first one's probably the most important. So um, we... We, we researched, did a ton of research. We started looking a year ago. We, the other asset classes we really looked into were, um, you know, we looked at a ton of single family, but th- those numbers were really, really tight. Um, and then we looked at uh, self-storage, but I think uh, Mark did a little more research and uh, that, that didn't appeal to us as much as uh, the mobile home parks. And then once we started doing more mobile home parks, the more... Uh, people uh, network. We started. Um, we started growing just through sometimes through brokers, sometimes just through friend of friends that that might uh, um, that might be interested and just talking about it in general. I think uh, just uh, you know really fuels a fire. It, it just uh, help me clarify. What's an SRO? I'm not familiar with that acronym. What does that stand for? Uh, Mark is a single rental occupancy. Yeah, it's sing- single room occupancy. Essentially, it's kind of like a dormitory housing in the sense oh, that it's okay. a shared bathroom. So if a, if a right. unit does not have its own private bathroom, it's labeled an SRO. Ooh. Maybe it's okay. more so that's similar a, to New York City. Yeah, that's like inner city New York lingo right there for real estate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, good so deal. sort of a boarding house, if you will. Yep, yep. I understand. And then, I understand. Right, so you're mentioning rooms by the week. 
or by the night even, and it operates more of a hotel, motel structure. So definitely more hands-on operations where there's more turnover and so forth. I don't want to digress here, but your professor actually owned that type of investment in uh, in New York City? Yeah, I think and he started this during, out. During the 70s and 80s, too, when New York City wasn't as, <laughs> before Giuliani cleaned up a lot of things. So yeah, wow. I, was, uh, I think it lent itself to not the... Uh, the classiest of clientele so um, obviously that's changed over time but i think he was doing it at a time when um you know it was was very questionable characters coming in and out yeah that's that's a that's a rough business model i mean that's kind of like you know you'll see mobile home parks if you guys have looked at enough i mean you'll start running across the ones that have weekly rentals it's like ugh, you know it's just that i don't know like it's that's like the the motel clientele you know a very transient crowd that just i mean it's just it's kind of it's a filthy business i mean it just is i don't care how you flip or flop it i mean it's just a filthy business and it's it's got a lot of moving parts to it you deal with a very unsavory tenant base typically and um i don't know there's i don't care how big the dollars are (laughs) how big the returns are you definitely cannot attract me to anything like that because really there becomes a uh, there becomes a quality of life and also actually some um, moral and, and ethical uh, components that come into those equations, and uh, just having that type of investment is not attractive to me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. So let's talk about this first park. So, so you guys were studying the economics of mobile home parks. Uh, obviously, it, 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 there was enough there that it that attracted you into it, saying, "Hey, let's go take a look. Let's go find. Let's go find some opportunities. Let's uh, evaluate them." Um, you settled on this 11 space park in Connecticut. Tell me about how you found this one, but also why Connecticut, you know, I mean, were you looking just in your backyard? I mean, how, how far was your reach expanded? And just give me some of the particulars or how you found it. What exactly you're looking for? Were you looking for this size? Were you looking for like a small one? Were you looking for bigger? I mean, just, just give me the general idea of, of this first park. Okay. Yeah. I think when we first started off, um, we were looking almost anywhere in the U S we didn't really know where to even hone in on. And then just, Talking through combination of brokers slash owners, uh, a lot of them were sort of pushing. You should, you should, you should more uh, invest in your backyard uh, or somewhere that's drivable. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think as a first park, I think there's a, a security blanket that came with that 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 makes you for anybody that's like nervous. You know, it, it can get you over the hump a little bit. Um, so I think you know once we started searching more regionally, it was just one of those things where. Uh, we set up a filter on on you know uh, Craigslist and, and or LoopNet or something like that, and and whatever popped up, we would do some re, uh, demographic research um, and then talk to whoever it was. This one came through a Craigslist ad that we saw, um, and then just talking to the individual, uh, you know, sort of got a sense of um, uh, why he was selling, uh, what how long he's owned it for, um, and then you know we did demographic research and then. Um, and then we were like, okay, you know, this, everything makes sort of makes sense. Everything seems reasonable. There's nothing, uh, nothing in the closets. So, uh, you know, we made an offer, went back and forth and then we finally settled. Um, those were somewhat nerve wracking times. And then, and then, you know, we, uh, we started diligence. Uh, we were able to secure seller financing for a short term. So that always helps. Um, and then especially, in general, not having to go through a bank, I think, uh, really helps expedite any sort of uh, diligence um, process. As you know, you you you're a little more comfortable that ultimately, you know, it is that's, it's a shared risk. Okay, and so, so you found a little Craigslist. Um, you got owner financing. What, what what did you end up paying for the park? Um, 
think the final price we settled was uh, four hundred and five thousand. Okay, so I, I just did some quick math here, and it's eleven. Is it eleven occupied pads? Correct. Uh, correct. And then a, and there was a single family home as well on the uh, on the parcel. Yep. Okay. And I, yep, so, yep. Okay. So eleven pads, and then what was the the monthly lot rent? I think you said it was nearing five hundred dollars a month, or maybe it was five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, I think ro- uh, it was like. So eleven hundred or eleven occupied pads, you know, five five hundred dollars or so a month, and you got that single family home. What is the uh, utility set up there? Is it city water, city sewer? No, it was uh, everything was private, so um, it was well and septic. So we did some diligence on that as well um, with uh, with local guys, and you know, got comfortable around that. As, uh, we, you know, there's there's a lot of water testing with the state um, environmental protection department, so everything. Ultimately, got clear, which was nice. So, and uh, the owner, one of the one of the comforting facts was the owners owned it for uh, I want to say almost like thirty years, which was uh, helpful when you're buying from somebody who's owned it for such a long time. They know everything about it, and they know um, they uh, you don't. I feel like you don't really know how to run a park until you've done it for a year or two. So you go through the cycle once or twice. Um, you know, obviously, this guy's done it for. A really long time, and everything's been okay. There has, there's no nothing, um, you know, outstanding. There's no black markers against uh, the park itself. Uh, looking through county files, so you know, we got comfortable um, around uh, the park that way. Did he actually live inside the park and that, in, that, we, in the home that was there? Yeah, I think part of also what got us comfortable with some of the private utilities was we we interacted with some of the folks that the state employees in the environment protection department and they all seemed very responsive and receptive to discussions and contact and we were able to gain some comfort that at purchasing a, this park which had septic and well would not you know blow up immediately <laughs> yeah so is it is it uh, the septic tanks is it one septic per home or I'm assuming it's probably some shared septic so it's such an old, old older park yeah, it's, uh, there was uh, eight eight tanks, uh, so co- almost one for one. But yeah, there are a couple of them share. Okay, okay, well that's not bad. And so, uh, most of the homes that are in this park, uh, they're all tenant. Well, they're all tenant owned. I'm guessing. Are they you know older, yeah. like 1950s, 60s, 70s homes, or are there some newer homes in there as well? Definitely some newer homes. Um, I think um, the way it's laid out, uh, most of the homes where we saw we uh, we visited, I would say a total of probably five or six parks and then this uh, this park in itself was um was the most attractive in the sense that all the homes were well very well groomed very well kept and with the exception of maybe one or two homes that might be a little bit older every other home was um t- about 10 years old oh wow some, some okay or some little yeah you know, so gotcha gotcha is, is it paved roads that are in the park or are they gravel <laughs> That was another attractive feature. We, you know, everything was uh, there was no curbing, but it was uh, the the. I think there because I, I think there was an easement. Um, the the town actually paved uh, the road, which made it look very very nice. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Do you think there's any upside in the lot rents? I mean, do you think five hundred is at the market, or do you think that there's actually some room to grow? Um, I think when uh, that that's a good question. We when we were doing our research, I think five hundred is right around uh, where other comparable parks are. So um, I think that, you know we'll. I don't think there's the the massive, I guess, initial uh, increase that we can we can expect. We'll probably just follow sort of inflation um, year mm-hmm. over year, yeah, or, or beat inflation year over year. 
Okay. And so, you know, just based on my quick math, I don't know your exact numbers. I don't know what the taxes are like there. And I don't know what the, you know, the, the monthly testing on the well is and things of that nature. I don't know how often the tanks need pumped. I mean, so there's a lot of variables there that I don't know, but just r- really quick and dirty numbers. I mean, you, d- you guys definitely bought it at a 10 cap. I mean, it, it seems just, just running some quick math. I mean, is that, is that pretty accurate statement? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, definitely. I forgot. I think based on Mark did a, uh, Mark, I think Mark, Mark's uh, the uh, brains of the operation. He, uh, he he ran when he ran the numbers. I think we were coming up right around like forty to forty three grand a year of NOI. Yep. So I think yeah, uh, there's some obviously some variability based on the our performa, but you know that I think that's where we're shooting. Yeah, that's good. I just did some really quick calculations on mine. And I came up with forty two nine, so I'm pretty close. Look at that. <laughs> and you guys didn't give me yeah. any details. Yeah. Um, so let's let's I want I want to ask a couple more questions about this park because I again this is this is the first park this is the foundation of uh, of your park investing business I mean this is the first one this is this is this is the one that got you over the hump you know now now you're moving on to your second third fourth fifth sixth I don't know however many you guys are going to buy but you're moving definitely moving on to the next one um, this one here let's talk about financing a little bit so you guys persuaded the owner to carry financing on it can we talk a little bit about that conversation like was that was that kind of open and out in the table initially or was that something that you kind of had to get him comfortable with after you met him? It, it was set it up. Um, I think from, we, we, you know, sort of, he, he's a seasoned investor, real estate investor, so he understood, uh, you know, uh, solar financing. He's done it in the past with other asset classes, so he, he knew what it entailed. And uh, he, he was, you know, we initially looked at the park in, I think it was middle of November, and we were trying to close by year end, which obviously meant he would have to do some sell financing because no, you know it's really tough to get bank financing uh, and yeah, close to year end for with that short of time period. Hey guys, Kevin Bupp here from the Mobile Home Park Academy. I'm very sorry for interrupting your show, but I have something really special I'd like to share with you. If you haven't heard already, Charles and I are offering something really cool here at the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast, and I just wanted to make sure that you knew about it. We're offering a free 30-minute phone consultation with the two of us, where you can ask us anything that you'd like about mobile home park investing. Maybe you're brand new and you just have a few questions that you'd like answered. Or maybe you want to run a deal past us and have us help you walk through the evaluation process. Or maybe you're an already experienced park owner and you just want to bounce a few ideas off of us. Whatever it is, Charles and I, we're very excited to speak with you. And there's absolutely no ulterior motive with these calls, so you don't need to worry about us trying to upsell you or pitch you on some kind of product or service. These calls are simply our way of giving back and connecting with others who share our same passion for this business. And just to reiterate, it doesn't matter if you're brand new or a seasoned investor. These calls are open to everyone. But there is one catch. It has to relate to mobile home parks. And so if you'd like to schedule that free 30-minute call with Charles and I, please send an email to freecall at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Again, freecall at mobilehomeparkacademy.com, and almost immediately you'll receive an email back with a link to our calendar. And if you haven't received that email within five minutes or so, be sure to check your junk folder, okay? Sometimes it ends up there. And when you go to schedule that time on our calendar, please include a little background on yourself as well as what you'd like to discuss on our call. But please be sure that it relates to mobile home parks. Charles and I really look forward to connecting with you, and we look forward to helping you in your journey to success as a mobile home park investor. Now let's get back to the show. 
Um, and he was open to it for, for two, two different reasons. I think, obviously, he wanted to close by year-end, uh, which ultimately didn't happen, but we got the deal done anyway. Uh, he wanted to close by year-end at the time, and uh, he wanted, uh, obviously, the tax advantages of, uh, um, of uh, seller financing. So the, him being savvy also, I think, helped us both be comfortable uh, working with him that, you know, it wasn't somebody who was um, scared that we were trying to take advantage. I think it was a very... Um, fair negotiation and uh you know i think both both uh we actually every time we go up there um you know we have lunch together so it's it's a very okay. uh good that's relationship great. we have yeah that's great and so how much uh what was the down what kind of terms like give me the terms the down amortization uh is there a balloon interest rate uh, yeah. give me give me all the details if you would uh it was uh so the park was let's say for, it was 400 uh we put 100 down and it was uh, a three-year balloon amortized over 30 years at five, uh, no, four, four and an eight. Four and eight, yeah. Okay. Do you guys think, uh, do you have a concern about the uh, ability to get financing within that balloon period? Slightly. We, we have a, I don't think we have a, a concern right now. I think, <laughs> you know, we just want to uh, make sure um, we get everybody onto new leases and, and uh, you know, just really start things going. But um, I, I think as it comes to the balloon, I think, you know, there's language that, it, you know, we mutually agree upon. We can extend it a year and then we can always add additional addendums uh, to the mortgage if, uh, or to the note if, if need be. Um, I think we're, we will, you know, definitely look a lot for, uh, look more seriously in a couple of years. Once, once you have a track record and, and with financials, I think you, your options open up a little bit more. It doesn't have to be just collateral-based lending. It could also be, you know, finance-based lending. So. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. Okay. Well, sounds good. And then uh, one last question about the owner financing. Uh, was he critical with regards to the two of your, your, your background, your, your financial history? Your, I mean, did he ask you for credit statements? Did he ask you for bank statements to show that you actually had money? I mean, how, how critical was he on your actual track record and also your, I mean, your, your personal credit, your financial standings? Uh, that's a great question. I think he was not very critical. We uh, we are both uh, uh, we there is recourse to the loan. So, but he wasn't he didn't take our credit score or anything like that. Okay. Well, good, good. So it was easy. It sounded like a, a super easy seller finance deal, which uh, a lot of them are. A lot of them are pretty. This is very straightforward. There's clear title. You know, I'm sure he owned it free and clear. So I mean, it was yep. uh, just very, very cut and dry. Which is, which is why I love seller financing. I mean, it's just it's so much easier than jumping yeah. through the hoops of the bank. Definitely. You know, just uh, okay. Well, sounds good. Well, um. Let's talk about the second deal. So you guys, before we got, or right when we got onto this call, you guys were mentioning that you were sharing some details about a second opportunity, and I and I want to talk about, you know, um, the kind of things that you guys are looking at, uh, you know, the areas that you're looking in, and so give me some ideas of what you've looked at so far. Is there anything actually on the table that you guys have an interest in? So nothing, definitely nothing officially on the table, but we've got a couple leads there in sort of our backyard again. Um, one of them um, was in the northern. New York area, um, and then the other one, I'm trying to think, um, I think both were, like, in the northern New York area, and I'm, I'm trying to think, there's, we've, what we've been doing, you know, just following your direction, I've been listening to, I think, Podcast 7, uh, over and over on how to build the database, and, um, you know, just, just constantly... 
<laughs> scraping data websites and uh, trying to aggregate a database of our own. So mm-hmm. I think uh, that's what we're trying to figure out is like how much time we're devoting to that uh, versus <laughs> our full-time job. So, right, um, right. The database is everything, man. It really is. I, I mean, it, it takes time yeah. to build it. It takes time to build it, but it's just no one else is willing to do it. And so, I mean, not that you don't, so, don't still have competition, not that these people still won't be getting solicited by other people, but, I mean, if you take enough time to build it, a very targeted database in the areas you want to buy, and you just work that list nonstop, it's just a matter of time until you have an opportunity to come out of it, right? Because at some point in time, every seller, I don't care whether it's you, it's me, or anyone else, there's a point in time where either they need or they want to sell, right? I mean, it's either forced yeah. or they just want. They want to make a change. They're going to get into something different, whatever it might be. But there's always that timing, and you just got to get the timing right. So you build that, that database, and you just right. you, you work at it. You stay in contact. You get to know the people. You get to know the park owners. They get to know you. And that way, when the time comes for them to either need or want to sell, hopefully they think of you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So – yeah, then. And, you know, we're also, um, you know, looking, trying to work through brokers as well. I think uh, I agree with you. I think we've uh, we've had good and bad experiences. I think there's always a, a couple of brokers that unfortunately, uh, I think it's only the name for the really good ones out there that do great work. Um, you know, we, we've had experiences where I think uh, this is more as a, a warning for other potential first-time buyers. Is we've gone through a process where we bid parks and we thought we were almost in contract where you know, there was no, and then the, there was actually no park or there was no, as in like there were no, um, there was no feedback or no, um, hmm. you know, there were no results or some, some pretty lame excuse came up and, you know, we did, or there was, we didn't think it was a clean process where we, we didn't get a fair look. So I don't know, th- things will come up like that. Um, uh, and those are unfortunate events that I think really, I think, uh, um, not reflective of what a great broker can do for you. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I think that's why, you know, a database is so important is you sort of uh, are running the show yourself a little bit. You know what's real, what's not. And I think that's extremely, extremely uh, valuable going forward. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's really good brokers out there. Honestly, it's, it's uh, you know, the park that we have in contract right now in Buffalo, New York, that broker is probably one of the better brokers I've ever worked with. He, he is so incredibly responsive and, and he's actually representing the seller and, and us, the buyer. And um, he, he's so incredibly responsive. He's he's looking out for our, our best interests as well. In fact, it's it's been such a pleasurable experience working with him and uh, i mean there's still a chance we might not buy the deal you know it could fall apart but i mean even then i mean it, it's it's been a great experience and i promise you i will work with him and he'll probably want to work with us because it's, it's been so good working together but i've had the complete opposite experience as well with brokers and i don't like begging for business and i you know we're in a buyer or we're, we're in a seller's market right now and uh you know brokers if they have a decent property that they have access to they don't have to work that hard to uh to sell it you know because there's a lot more, way more buyers and sellers out there and um i just hate having to beg for properties so I, maybe it's just uh it's just me you know my pride it's a pride thing but um i hate having to beg for properties and so but the cool thing about the database is you're right you can kind of control your own destiny and essentially what you're doing with that database you're doing what any good broker should be doing like within the market that they're working you're doing exactly what they do you're basically finding out who owns what, how long they've owned it, talking to them, finding out if they have an interest in selling, and then staying in contact with them on a regular basis. I mean, that's what good brokers do. And so you're just basically circumventing that system. But 
once you have that database, there's so many options because you can work it yourself. Or like us, we've got we've got our database built in, in many many markets, like more markets than we can actually personally touch on our own on a regular basis. And so we uh, we work with brokers in a very unique way, um, a kind of hand selected process in markets that we don't have time to really focus in to where we have a database. So we'll already take our database and we'll go to a market that we haven't really been able to spend a lot of time on and we'll find, we'll research and find a local broker that's got like really deep roots in that local marketplace that's been there for a while, you know, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, he doesn't have to be obviously a mobile home park specialist. He probably isn't. Um, but there's someone that actually knows general commercial real estate, as, as knows a lot of local families that own property in the area. And we'll basically say, hey, Mr. Broker, here's who we are. Here's what we do. We're looking for someone that we can basically can team up with. I mean, we've done all the legwork for you. Like, we've literally got the list of the owner's phone numbers, their cell phone numbers, their home addresses, their vacation house addresses. I mean, we know everything about them. And these are parks that we'd have an interest in buying. What we're asking of you is that if you would basically be the person that follows up with them, you know, get make initial contact, follow up with them on a regular basis. And when the time comes, when they're ready or need to sell, you know, you'll bring it to us and you won't, you won't take it and shop it to other people. And that way we basically create our own pocket listings. We've got someone working on our behalf for free because, uh, you know, typically the seller is going to pay a commission, pay the commission if they won't. And if we can get it at the right price, we'll even pay the commission. You know, we'll pay the broker's commission. But I like that because then we, you're in control. We basically are not calling the shots, but we're showing good faith to the broker saying, hey, like we can perform. We've already done half your job for you. Now here, please you do the other half and let's do a deal together. And so it, it's a very, it's a very win-win type relationship and uh, it's worked really well for us. So um, that, that's typically what we do a, a lot of times when we're working with brokers. But anyway, not to digress, not to digress, but I, really what I was trying to make, I was trying to make a point about that database, why it's so vitally important and why you really like leaps and bounds ahead of your competition. If you take the time to build it out, you know, it just takes, it, it takes a lot of time. It's very tedious, but um it's definitely worth it in the long run. I, I want to talk about, you know, there was something I want to ask about that first park. And so I, I, I'm going to go back and forth here a little bit. Um, I want to talk about any challenges you guys faced in this first park. Uh, you know, I know you found it on Craigslist, but were there any, were there any challenges uh, prior to this one? Like it just any parks that you, like you had tied up and they fell apart. I know you said you had a couple of things that you made offers on and it just, you know, for whatever reason, it just, it, it wasn't a pleasurable experience. They fell apart, but were there any other parks you actually had under contract or were there any other like road bumps you hit along the way before you actually tied this very first park up? Um, I'm trying to think of, I, th- I think um, alluded to briefly in the sense that uh, the, nothing officially under contract. There were definitely, uh, there was one park in Pennsylvania. I think we looked. We had a serious look at. We agreed uh, on pricing, and uh, we were about to about to sign. And then um, you know the broker became a little more aggressive than uh, than I think I was comfortable with. And then um, you know, and then from there it it didn't uh, didn't go well. And you know, we we sort of were like, oh, well, we don't necessarily <laughs> need to work with you. Um, so we'll you know we'll take our business mm-hmm. elsewhere. It was very confusing why um you know the, the, it was there was such an aggressive broker who i felt didn't understand as much about the uh, just the industry um as, as um that was trying to push us to close as quickly as possible I, that yeah. part uh, i think was one of the one of the negative experiences we had with brokers but but you know it, we've definitely had a lot of positive ones as well so i don't want i don't yeah. want to um 
I love it. I love it. When, I, love, I love when you get aggressive brokers like that. I love when you get aggressive brokers like that that don't know very much about the mobile home park business. And they're like, guys, this is the cash cow. You better grab this thing. This thing makes so much money. You better pick it up and, and, or else it's going to be gone. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's, you know, and most of the time they're actually judging that by the owner's numbers or what the owner's telling them the thing's making, which is typically very, very wrong from the, the truth. You know, very far from the truth of what it really could make if it was run professionally or what it would make if it was run professionally. So um, talk to me about um, you're building your database. Have you guys actually gone as far as like do a direct mailing? Are you making any cold calls? I mean, how are you working that database or have you not started working the database yet? Um, I think right now, yeah, we're, we're building a couple of things. We're trying to build a database of parks, but we're also trying to build um, sort of uh, just a general, I guess, valuation guide of, uh, of what a mobile home costs. Because I think a lot of the issues that we come across is how much should, should a uh, park be worth if, let's say, 10, 15, 20% of the homes are, are park-owned. So I think that there's a valuation process there that we're not terribly comfortable with, um, and that's something that hopefully building a, a data set of, of uh, homes just across the U.S. And, you know, if you can get by vintage or, or by size, like, it'll give you a good comp of what it should be worth. So I think that'll help sharpen you, our bid for those type of parks. You mean just what, um, the, what the home itself is worth? Or is that what you mean by, like, what, what the actual right. – the home itself? You're not, yeah. Because you need to separate the lot portion from the, the value of the home itself, right? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and I think uh, the lot side we're we're pretty comfortable with that, but on the uh, on the actual um, how much the, the the manufacturer housing is worth, um, I think that part I think everybody takes pretty conservative assumptions, which is very fair. Um, but I think like if you can get a little sharper around that, get a little more comfortable around that, I think um, you know I think that that makes you have an advantage during the bidding process. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, so I think yeah, I, those type of things just take time, but. I got some feedback on that, and I, I mean, every area is so different that I don't know if it, it, you're really gonna. I don't know if it'd be worth your efforts to try to come up with like a general idea across the country of like what a certain vintage you know sells for, because every market is so specific. Um, you know, really, what you need to do get on get on Craigslist and see what people are asking. First off, that doesn't mean what they're selling for, but you know, find whatever market you're in. There's always a broker or an agent, like t- typically a residential agent. There's always there's always a few residential agents that actually sell mobile homes, like in, inside parks. Like if it's in an area that actually has other mobile home parks, you could probably find some uh, some sales comps from other agents or just, you know, find out what they're listing them for. Just give them a call and talk to them. But I just get on Craigslist and I get a general idea of what things are selling for. But at the end of the day, my whole goal is to actually only pay for it, what I can truly turn around and sell it for. Like not, not what it could, what I could fetch for it if I let it sit on the market for a year and like wait for that very right buyer. But like, what can I really sell it for? Like if I wanted to turn around and move it in like six weeks, like not give it away, but like kind of the middle right. ground, like not give it away, not wait a year to get the highest and best price. But like, what's the middle road? Like what's that middle price point that it would move fast. I wouldn't be giving it away. Like that's what I want to pay for it. And I think that you should easily be able right, to find right. that out just by do a little bit of research on Craigslist, go look in other parks, find out what there's, you know, what people are asking for their homes and then call a couple of real estate agents because every market's so specific. I mean, we have a park up in Virginia that is full of like, 
1960s and 70s homes. I mean, they're actually all well kept. They're all, I mean, the park is really well kept in general. And those things fly off the shelves at like four and five thousand dollars. It's crazy. I mean, they're small. They've got small bedrooms. I mean, they're all, they've all been updated. They're all full electric. They've been, you know, a lot of them have been re roofed over the years. And, but still, they're small old trailers. And, you know, if we had those homes in any other park, literally, if we had those homes in a park in North Carolina or, or a park in Georgia, they would maybe be worth 1500 bucks. I mean, in fact, they probably wouldn't even sell. We'd probably have to rip them out and bring a newer three-bedroom, two-bath home in. So, uh, you know, it's just every every market so so unique in itself. <clears throat> so, what's what's next, guys? What? Uh, yeah, that's great about it. Yeah, what what's next? I mean, how soon? What what's your goal as far as getting your next deal done? Give, give me. You got to have some kind of. There's got to be a deadline in the two of your heads that. Hey man, let's by I don't know by April fifteenth or by June first, we want to have our second park under contract, or we want to own our second park already. Do you have any goals like that in place? Uh, not not specifically. We were hoping our when we started off last year, we were saying you know let's do one park a year. Um, but I think after the momentum of the first one, I could see us easily trying to do two parks this year. Uh, I would love it if we could. I, I think the first one. Um, you know, if we, if we get some warm leads, I would, lo- I would love to, uh, um, you know, close a part by the end of summer and then have another warm lead ready to go into the winter time. Yeah. I tell you what you need, you guys need to do. And you probably heard us talk about this in the show. You got your database, but go in a, um, uh, in, in like a, t- a 20 mile radius of that park that you just bought. I, I, maybe a 25 mile radius even, but do, do a radius and do a mailer. You do even do cold calls because there's probably not that many parks in Connecticut. So I mean, it's probably not going to be a list of hundreds. I mean, it's probably going to be like twenty or thirty. You know, that would be like in the size that you guys are looking for. Maybe not even that many, but do a mailer and uh, be very personalized about it. Send it to the owner. Just introduce yourselves and uh, but but make sure you reference that you just purchased a park that, that literally you just closed. Um, you don't have to be super specific about it, but just, you know, put the area that you closed in on, you know, just really want to, you want to make sure that they understand that you have money, that you guys are serious, that you're not tire kickers, that you're not just sending a, a, a form letter out to, you know, a hundred park owners out there, uh, which really it will be a form letter because it's going to be the same letter to all these people, but, you know, make it very personalized in nature and let them know that you guys are local and that you spend a lot of time in the area and that you'd love to meet for coffee one day. And, uh, not necessarily that they're looking to sell now, but even if they're not looking to sell, just say, hey, you know, we'd love to meet others in, the, in this industry. You know, it's very small and tight knit. So we just, we'd like to say hi, you know, and maybe you're not interested in selling, but we'd still like to say hi and, and, and meet you. And just try to build some kind of relationship, find a reason to build a relationship with these other park owners. And whether or not it's the time to actually have the discussion about them selling, at least know who you are. They'll know that you have an interest in their park. You know, I, I would probably let them know that you've you've actually you've seen their park, which you kind of have because Google Earth. Even if you haven't driven through it personally, you know, um, you know, let them know that you've seen their park. You like you know the size of it fits kind of what you're looking for, and just be very uh, personalized and specific, and uh, that works really well for us. In fact, we we find that we actually get literally about double the response rate from a particular targeted region. Um, if we just do a normal mass mailer out to a region where we don't own anything yet, but then once we buy something and then we actually send another mailer out saying, Hey, we just purchased this. We're coming to the area. We'd love to meet with you. We'd love to have lunch, grab lunch, grab breakfast, whatever. Our response rate is about double because now you've actually proven like you're just not some guy out there sending letters out to every park owner. You've proven now that you can actually execute and that you've got money and that you're not just going to waste their time. 
think that's great advice for sourcing, like, you know, building on the momentum. I was just curious, like, um, do you have any general sort of metrics? If we weren't, if, if for, for a first-time buyer, if you didn't have, you know, an anchor uh, park, like, uh, could you give some rough guidelines um, as to how you would, when you don't own in a certain area, like, what you're looking for? Uh, I, I know, you know, you you covered this, I think, uh in one of the previous episodes, but just as a as a refresher, um, or if anything's been been updated on your side, if there's any uh, like the market analysis you were talking about earlier, um, you know, when you market to a new area, because uh, more curious, like you know, should we be doing in our backyard? And if not, then <laughs> I guess if we could get some guidance as to where we should look next, I think that'd be helpful. You know, I, as far as like where you should look next, let's talk about that first before we start talking about like the market specifics. Uh, but like where, how far you should go away. I mean, as you guys know, we own parks really far away. In fact, we don't own anything in Florida at the moment, which is where I live. We do have a couple in contract here in Florida, but um, I actually find that there's a benefit from owning things far away because it, it doesn't give you that that urge to go to the park on a regular basis. Because if, if you've got an on-site manager, if you have someone there that's running the show that's competent, that you've trained properly, then there's really never a point in time that you showing up would make things better. So, if they, I mean, let's talk about like, you know, natural, I mean, if there's a, a natural catastrophe, like a, a you know, a, a windstorm came through and blew some trailers over or a, a fire started or there was a murder. I mean, like, let's talk about things like that. I mean, that are a big deal. If that happened, it still wouldn't make a difference if it was close to you. So um, I'm not really opposed to buying things far away. I actually, I actually like it because I don't feel the urgency to go visit often. I mean, we, we technology allows us to accomplish a lot of things without going in person. Um, when we first buy a park, we do make multiple visits depending on how much of a turnaround it is um, or how you know what, what we have to do in that particular park. But um, you know, once it's stabilized and rents are coming in, uh, and we got good management in place. You know, technology allows you to accomplish a lot of things uh, remotely, and so. Um, about our, our only criteria as far as distance wise, I don't like crossing over multiple time zones. That's just my personal preference. Um, so we try to stay in like a central time zone. That's about as far west that we'll go. Um, and, uh, I like to know that I can jump on an airplane from, you know, in Tampa and you'll fly direct, get a direct flight, you know, within two and a half hours and then drive no more than an hour in a rental car and get to the park. Like, I mean, there's some exceptions to that rule, but that's just like, our real quick and dirty analysis as to like where we would consider buying a park. Like there was a, there was a park in, I forget what part of Ohio it was in that we just looked at, we made an offer on and we kind of just backed out. Like we probably could have bought it, but it was like two hours away from the airport. There was no direct flights. I mean, so like you're talking layovers and you know, two hour car drive. I'm like, yeah, yeah it was like a 50 space park. I'm like, I just, you know, it just seems like it's a headache. You know, it could make money. It could be great, but even going there the first time, I, w- I would be kind of like, ugh, oh, this is going to be like a full like three days, to, you know, get back and forth just to go see this park. And if we were buying a bigger park, that might it might be able to justify it. But that small of a park, we had a hard time justifying, and we backed out for that reason. Um, but as far as like local. Um, you know, uh, statistics go and demographics. I mean, we're looking for like $100,000 median home prices. Uh, I, I want median incomes of about 40000 or so. And we'll make exceptions to that as well. I mean, certain markets are kind of anomalies where, you know, I, we were talking about this before we started recording. You know, there's, I mean, basically the entire state of Michigan, there's tons of markets that are below that 100000 uh, median home threshold. And the lot rents are like $300 plus, you know? And so, 
every market is so specific to one another. But so just our but our general rules of thumbs are like a hundred thousand dollar median house price. We want unemployment rate to be under seven percent. We want there to be you know typically like you know fourteen percent or less vacant housing in the marketplace. We want to know that the you know the uh, the median uh, rents for two bedroom apartments are at least seven hundred dollars plus. You know three bedrooms eight to nine hundred plus. Just you know th- things like that. We don't know if the schools are good. I mean we don't know that we're buying the park in a in a neighborhood that's desire has desirable schools. You know we don't want to be like in the worst school district in the entire market because we cater to families a lot of times with our parks. And so families, even if they're low income families, they want the best for their kids most of the time and they want their kids to go to good school. So we look at just general things like that. And, um, uh, you know, size wise, we want 50 spaces or larger and preferences city utilities, but we'll look at private, you know, we'll look at septics are okay. Um, package plants. We really could care less for, uh, lagoons don't really like those. Um, and wells, I really don't like wells either. Um, we currently have a parking contract that's on a well and septic, but the only reason we're actually even considering it is because there's a, uh, the city water and sewer line is at the front of the park. And so we're hopefully going to be able to, if we do buy the park, we'll be able to tap into that, just the, the, the water portion. We'd want to tap into the water portion to just, you know, go ahead and cap off the well, shut it down and get on uh, the city water source. So. But is that what you're looking? Is that what you meant by asking us kind of what our criteria is, what we look for, or were you thinking of something different? I, I want to make sure I answer your question correctly. No, I think that's exactly. No, that was extremely helpful. Yeah, I think the first part is you know sometimes it's I can could agree with you more that I feel like every time something comes up with the park or, or you know you know just you feel like you want to go there just to uh, <laughs> just to fix fix any issues that come on, make sure everybody's happy. But I think it is better to almost uh transact at an arm's length away and and you know everybody should be respond held responsible for your hiring park managers they should be doing their jobs and you know it's, it's you should be handling a lot of the higher level i guess questions but i think that you know everybody should be else should be executing on on uh yeah. whatever you you know, you've decided on. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to give the tools and the resources to our park manager to empower them, to actually allow them to do their job. I I don't like being micromanaged, and I definitely don't like micromanaging other people, and I, I don't like when I have to. And so, you know, if we find that we have to do that to a manager, we get rid of them. We find someone that's actually a kind of a self-starter that can kind of, they can manage on their own. I mean, with the right direction, with the right guidance, right tools, they can maintain their own. I mean, we still communicate with them on a regular basis, but I want them to be the person that handles the day-to-day operations. That's why we hired them. You know, that's why they're there. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, every park we own, um, I, I, I don't think any of the tenants know who, I mean, when we go visit, whether it's me or one of the other partners, uh, they don't know who we are. They, they probably just, I mean, I don't know what the managers tell them, but I always tell them like, do never, never tell them that I'm the owner. I don't want to be the owner. Just tell them I work for the management company. I'm here visiting from corporate, whatever, whatever they want to tell them, but just, I'm not the owner. I don't want anyone to know that I'm the owner because it just, it causes problems. You know, when you're, when you've got a direct, it's not that I dislike tenants, but it's, it's easy to, to actually always, you know, to play the role of, uh, Sorry guys, I don't make that decision. You know, that's the up above. You know, like it's I, I it's not my rules, I just enforce them. And I tell our managers the same thing. Like you really need to play that card. Like you need to enforce our rules as black and white and it's it's there's no debate. Like it's just you don't have control to make an exception. Like you're just it's not your rules, you're just enforcing them. That's your job. And so when I'm there, it's the same thing. Like I don't want them to think they can come to me and like overmind or override the manager or like go around the manager. And so I'm just kind of the anonymous guy walking around 
checking things out. <laughs> and so I don't like to get personally involved with the tenants. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Uh, so, so let me ask you this. I, and I want an answer from both of you guys, if you don't mind. Um, so you're, you're very, you're very fresh into this, uh, into this business and you're, yeah, but you get it. Like you, you get the, um, the analysis side of things. I mean, like you said, you have a little bit of struggles with like the park owned home component, you know, what the value of those things at. but you know what, at the end of the day, that shouldn't kill a deal. I mean, you shouldn't be that if you're, if the home's worth seven grand and you think they're worth four and there's 10 of them, I mean, you're talking $30,000. I mean, it, it really shouldn't kill a deal uh, from a evaluation of a park owned home or if there's like 10 of them in the park. Now, if it's a, if it's a mobile home park, that's got like 50 of them, well, that's a different story. Now you could be talking like hundred thousand dollar difference or possibly more than that, but I don't think it should ever kill a deal. But with that being said, um, what advice would you give those new investors that are looking to get in this business? You know, the new investors that were, they're in your shoes six months ago. Like they're, they know that mobile home parks are the place to be. They want to get into it. They want to buy their first park, whatever size it may be. But what advice, and I want an answer from each, each one of you, if you don't mind, what advice would you give a new person looking to get in? Like just, it could be general advice, be very specific, but what advice would you give them? Um, I think one of, I'm trying to think of what really got me over the hurdle with the first park. Uh, obviously, I think it, my two advice would be, Having a partner definitely helps bounce ideas off of. Mark and I have, uh, you know, our, our own strengths, so it's it's great to have a collaborative mind. Obviously, you know, you, Kevin, you provide a great service to be able to, uh, you know, I just emailed you and, and you know here we are talking. So it's always good to have somebody to talk to to bounce ideas off of. Um, and then what got me over the hump with the first park is this is such a rule of thumb that it's it, it's really hard to follow is that. Um, I liked how the owner owned it for such a long time. I think it's one of those uh, great things in real estate. If uh, if somebody has owned it and taken care of something for when you you know when you're buying your first house or when you're buying a house in general, and, and you it might be a little outdated, but if if the owner has lived in there for the past forty years, I think it's uh, it's usually a pretty sound investment. You can obviously go in and do whatever you want with it, but um, I think I think a lot of issues that should come up in diligence um, won't because of somebody that's owned it for such a long time that's constantly being, um, you know, either through tax assessment, through annual uh, uh, water and air audits uh, through by the state, those type of things, as they go through the cycle, um, you know, as, as long as everything passes, I think uh, it was very... That was what got me over the hump to to buy the first one. Okay, and let me. I, I want to add to that a little bit. And you guys, I think you guys, uh, you found a good park owner right there. I mean, you found someone that actually took care of things. He may he owned it for a long time, but he also maintained it, which is um, which is great. I mean, we we, we yep. definitely find parks that have been maintained and uh, the, the owners have done well. But then we find the complete opposite, where owners had it for thirty years and he literally hasn't done a thing for thirty years, but bleed the income out of it, hasn't put a dime back into it, which. Uh, which is the other end of the spectrum, which those are the ones that you run into and you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe, number one, I can't believe you've been here for 30 <laughs> years. Number two, w- 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 I, what have you done with your money? Because you haven't put it back in the park. <laughs> so, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you guys found a good one. That's a good one. It, it's, that's always very comforting when you see that it's been well-maintained. And, and honestly, if the tenants are, if the tenants have actually, if, if, you, if you see that the tenants have 
you know, a great pride of ownership in their homes and they all maintain their homes and their newer homes, that's a very good sign because I can promise you, you said like most of the homes were like within 10 years of age. That means that those people probably had older homes and then they, you know, they got sick of the older home, they moved to new one. And so they liked that. They liked the park so much that they upgraded, you know, while living there, they've upgraded. And I mean, they're not intending on leaving anytime soon. I mean, they probably are, have most of the tenants been in that park for, you know, more than 10 years. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's what, uh, that was another uh, thing that came to mind was when I was asking about how, what is the oldest tenant. I mean, people have been there for twenty years. Yeah. Um, I think that there was one that was recently, you know, aside from one that was there for a little over a year. Everybody else has been there five, five to twenty years, so which is I think very comforting. There's a the stability of income, the stability of and, and uh, to point earlier about the pride of ownership. I think that's. Uh, you know, it shows through and through in uh, how well the park is maintained, but also the individual lots. Uh, you know, everything's, mm-hmm. uh, the lawns are very well manicured. It's, it's uh, nice to have. Okay. And then, um, uh, Mark, what, 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 what advice would you give a, uh, a new park investor? Yeah, definitely. I think one thing to keep in mind is if you're starting out is to just manage risk personally. So, for example, what George and I get some comfort was that this was a smaller park, so we'd have little less capital risk so we can subsequently invest in second and third parks and primarily that just in my personal experience every venture business opportunity that I've been in I feel like the first one I've always you know done poorly or returned less than estimated or calculated so definitely want to you know say we bought it at a 10 cap we think we're doing a you know, 20% or more return on equity as a first time owner you're probably going to make some mistakes, misestimate expenses, or screw something up. So you definitely want to have a little bit of a cushion in that sense. And if a lot of the resources out there, such as the podcast and the mobile home park academies, will probably help alleviate and reduce some of these mistakes. But I feel just from a personal comfort sense, if you build a little bit of cushion, for example, if we think we're getting you know 10 cap, 20% plus trend equities, even if we screw up a few things, we're... You know, we're still coming out okay, and that builds a little bit of a margin of safety in our venture. Yeah, no, no, I think that's great advice. I mean, we're very, we're very, very conservative. Actually, sometimes to our fault. Uh, you know, there's been certain deals that Charles and I we look back now, we kind yeah. of kick ourselves in the butt with a little bit. There's one in particular that comes to mind that uh, we were just overly conservative on. We were in contract with it, and we backed out on that. We, you know, we realized like two months later, we're like, what were we thinking? Like, come on, like we're just we're like there's there's conservative, then there's like ultra conservative that like you're going to like kill kill deals because like you're trying to i mean you're, you're trying to put too much of a buffer in there too much of a of a pillow in place and so um but no i think that's that's great advice because you are going to make mistakes i mean you know it, it's very helpful if um if you've been a landlord before so like if you've had some kind of rental properties to where you know you've been in the business and and you're very firm on your on your rules like your like the rules and regulations you're going to enforce in your park if you're if you're if you're good with like enforcing those types of things you'll probably do a little bit better but i see a lot of the mistakes where a lot of the mistakes come into play is and it doesn't it doesn't just apply to mobile home parks but when people get into the real estate business and they're going to be actively involved in it to where um even if they just have even if they have a manager in place let's say they have a manager in the park or they're you know that's gonna be collecting rents and such where they're not good at enforcing the rules 
You know, they're not good at saying, you know what, it's due on the first, it's late on the sixth, and I'm sorry. Like, it just, there's no exceptions to it. It's a business. You got it. We got to pay my bills. You got to pay your bills. And here's our policy when this happens. And they kind of, they get lenient. They, they start making exceptions for one person, then next person. And then and now all of a sudden, a year down the road, you find out you got like $5,000 of like rolling balances, um, you know, that, that haven't been paid and which are never going to get caught up. I see that being a big mistake that a lot of new, just investors in general make. You know, they're, they're not good at enforcing the rules. And so, um, and there's many others as well. You know, with mobile home parks, due diligence on the utility setup is a big deal. I mean, you, it sounds like you guys actually, you crossed all of your T's and dotted all your I's with the well and the septic. I mean, you guys called the health department. You call, it sounds like you called code enforcement. You wanted to make sure that there was no, um, you know, not, not a lot of, uh, not a history of, you know, code violations or health department violations. Uh, you guys checked with the state with regards to the well. I'm sure you probably went back and looked at historical, um, the historical reports on the well testing and such. And so the due diligence can be the absolute killer in the mobile home park business. If you skip due diligence, especially when you're dealing with private utilities, it can be a killer in the business. And it can really wipe out your entire investment. I mean, pretty darn quickly um, if something were to go wrong, you know? So, I mean, for instance, let me give you an example. Like this park, you paid 400 for it, you put 100 grand down. Let's say that you guys didn't test that well and you just took the owner's word for it and everything was going great. Um, and let's find out that a month into it, you find out or the, you know, the EPA or whoever regulates that, you know, the well in, in state of New York or state of Connecticut, they come in and they test it and they find out that whatever level, I don't know what the different levels are of minerals, but one of them is really high. And, you know, either they're going to say like, you've got to drill a new well or you've got to upgrade the system. It's going to be, you know, 60 or 70 grand to upgrade the system uh, in order to, you know, you know, reduce this, this mineral count or whatever. I'm just making stuff up now, but you know, like a, a 50 or $60,000 impact on that size of a park is catastrophic. I mean, you could probably get through it, but it would hurt a lot <laughs> as far as returns go, especially if you just, squeak, yeah. especially if you were, especially if you were just, you know, that hundred grand you guys put down, if that was like, everything that you kind of had planned to set aside to buy this first park. And all of a sudden you got another big nut. You got to crack of, you know, 50 or 60 grand, you know, and let's say that, let's say that, let's say they weren't going to let you put a well back in there. Let's say that, you know, you know, guys, Hey, this well shot, like you cannot drill a new well, the city hookups out front at the park, it's there. We want you to tap into it, but guess what? The impact fees are 150 grand. You got to pay them and you got to tap in no other option. I mean, if you didn't know that going in, I mean, you can plan for that stuff if you know ahead of time. But if you don't prepare for that kind of thing, it's catastrophic. It's a lot easier to manage if it's a really big park. But you know, the smaller park you get, those those big capital hits, they can they can kill you and they can drown you pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. So, anything else, guys? Any final words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with the listeners before we uh, before we wrap things up for the day? It's such a long journey. I think uh, you know, if anything, I, I would preach. Uh, um, just a little bit of patience because it took us well over a year, I, I, you know, for people from start to finish to, to really close on a place. So I would say for people that are truly, you know, invested, just, you know, um, what Kevin was saying earlier, if you, if you have, uh, if you're, if you have warm leads, keep calling them, um, you know, don't be shy to just ask a bunch of questions, uh, and, and, you know, be patient. I think it, it's, it's, um, It'll definitely happen for sure. It just, you know, it just might take a while. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I tell everyone, give yourself a year. It doesn't matter if you're going to invest in parks or self-storage or shopping centers, whatever. It's like, give yourself a year, dedicate a year to learning everything you need to know, go through the proper channels for education, and uh, but give it a year. You know, give it a year because uh, you're going to hit road bumps and roadblocks and all kinds of other stuff, frustrations and disappointments. And just but give it a year because a year is typically enough time. If you're actually very diligent and you and you're kind of a, a, a very ambitious person, you know that you're going to make it happen. Well, give yourself a year because that's plenty of time to do it. And it allows for some of those other failures along the way that you'll probably encounter. So, well, guys, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really enjoy you taking the time out of your day, um, you know. Uh, congratulations again on that very first park. It really is. I mean, it's a monumental step to make um, with being a mobile home park investor, any type of investor. You know, like I said, whether you're buying apartment buildings or shopping centers, that first deal is everything. And uh, I mean, it really is the step that really creates the momentum. It gets the excitement. It gets the juices flowing. Like you close in that park and you're like, oh yeah, we did it. We got the first one done. Let's start looking for the second one now. You know, like it's it's an exciting moment. And um it's it's really just pushing through that first one that that creates all the leverage moving forward, and so I, I'm I'm excited for you guys. I uh, look forward to, you know, hearing your story a year or two from now when you tell me you've got a couple hundred you know spaces underneath ownership and management, because um, it all it all stemmed from that eleven space park that you bought. You know, so it's pretty exciting. Um, but guys, again, yeah. thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And um, guys, that's all we have for today's episode. And before I before I close things out here for the day, I just want to remind you of the free gift that. And Charles and I offer to listeners who take the time to go over iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, we will give you the exact cold call script that we use in our very own business. As uh, George and Mark and I were just talking about, direct mail is a big part of our business, but so is cold calling. And uh, we will give you the exact cold call script that we use in our very own park business. So what you need to do is after you leave your review on iTunes, go ahead and send us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com and tell us who you are and what screen name that you use to leave the review. And we'll go ahead and send you that free gift. And be sure to also stop by mobilehomeparkacademy.com. You can listen to all of our past podcast episodes. You can also download a free copy of our popular ebook, The 21 Biggest Mistakes Investors Make When Purchasing Their First Mobile Home Park and How to Avoid Them. And uh, and also, you can check out the Academy. The Academy's there. It's live. And uh, you know, one thing I forgot to mention about the Academy We've got that two-hour free training that we offer. And just as a gift, we got a really awesome gift at the end of that free training. But you have to stick around to the very end to find out how to redeem it. But Charles and I, we actually we have two different proprietary evaluator software tools that we use, specific to mobile home parks. We have like a quickie one, which is kind of like, you know, it takes you know, five, 10 minutes. You can run a model, a quick, quick financial model, and just kind of set, separate the winners from the losers. And then we have a more in-depth um, you know, financial modeling tool that we use in our business. But... Um, if you go and you listen to that free training that we have, the two-hour training, and it, it, I think it's just that two hours in length, uh, but but it's all good content. It's no fluff in there. All really good content. And you listen to the very end. At the very end, I will tell you how to redeem a free version of that quick evaluator software. It's the mobile home park quick evaluator software um, worth $197. I'll give it to you for free, but you got to listen to the end. So I forgot to mention that in the beginning. So go check it out, mobilehomeparkcabby.com. And uh, guys, this is Kevin Bupp. I appreciate you joining the show and you have a wonderful week. Take care. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter 
which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.